Welcome, folks, to topic 10. So let's get started. So hopefully you know your GI anatomy, you know, starting from your mouth all the way down to your butt. So this is one long tube system. It's all connected, uh, one long connected tube. So, and technically, um, what's happened at the top end, very similar to what happened in the bottom end. So it can be interchangeably. Okay, so uh, so you start from your mouth, you go down, you have the oral pharynx, uh, larynx, and go down to your esophagus, uh, LES, a lower esophagus, your sphincter, uh, your stomach. Uh, you have different parts of your stomach, the fundus, uh, which is on the top, the cardiac uh, cardia region, which is by the heart, and then you have the greater lesser curvature, and then you go out into the pyloric region, going to the pyloric sphincter. Your small intestine, you have three sections, the um, DJI, DJ ileum, so duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. Then you are going up the um, ileocecal valves to go into the large intestine. Large intestine, you have the bottom part, which is cecum, going up ascending colon, transverse colon, uh, descending colon, colon sigmoid colon, uh, and then come out on your anus. So hopefully you remember all of those. Uh, if, you, if you don't, please review. First thing I want to kind of talk about is the, the cliff, the cleft palate. Um, more likely, uh, if you do a family practice, you might see this. Um, just kind of give you a reference. Uh, basically, with cleft palates, usually it's uh, caused by the deficiency of B, vitamin B, especially B6, folic acid, and B12. Uh, or if the mom actually uses alcohol, tobacco during uh, during birth, during pregnancy, uh, even diabetes as well could actually have this. Um, it actually changed the TGF alpha gene inside. Okay. Um, and it takes uh, takes time in terms of uh, in terms of the surgery in terms of the process. I just want to kind of remind you it actually does take some time to close it up. Okay, um, other, you know, symptom that they may have problem with feedings. Um, you know, large soft nipple in terms of opening and cutting across that uh, that nipples for the uh, bottles. So. This is the kind of timeline that I want to kind of show you. You could see the first appointment could be, um, you know, in the next one, the repair could happen at the fourth month. Could also happen again. The, the palate part could happen, you know, 14, 16 months. You have language assessment. You have the speech uh, therapy. You have the OT as well, you know, pharyngoplasty if that you need those at four years old, um, bone grafting at six, uh, orthodontics at 10, so on and so forth. So it's a process. So you might want to keep in mind when you actually have a student, uh, a patient who actually have clear palate, uh, if you are a family uh, practitioner. So keep that in mind. The very common things that you get, uh, especially if your throat will start from your throat down, is the pharyngitis and laryngitis. So pharyngitis usually is viral for the most part. Uh, I would highly recommend watching these videos um, on the bottom. It actually will tell you the differences between the viral and bacterial, uh, definitely. And you, you definitely need to know the differences between what does the viral look like, what does the bacterial look like. Okay, so I would highly recommend watching that video down on the bottom here. You do have this link in your PowerPoint as well. So. <clears throat> so tonsillitis is inflammation of your tonsil. Usually it could be both viral bacterial. The picture that you see up here is not tonsillitis. This is called tonsillite. This is a stone. Technically speaking, it's your food that actually collected there. It smells really nasty. A lot of times when you some people try to uh, pick it and then uh, spit it out, it smells really, really nasty. Um, but what happens is your, your tonsil become very sticky. It actually releases a coating on the outside, and that sticky coating actually pick up food as you swallow food down into your throat. It picks it up here and form like little plaque on there into the wall. So... And you know, even you look on Amazon, they actually sell products to actually removing those little stick to actually removing those out of your throat. So, and people usually like to pick them for some weird reason uh, and smell them, even though they know that it's smelly, but they still smell them. But uh, the problem, other problem you might have is uh, with uh, with GI is dysphagia, is swallowing, difficulty swallowing. Uh, one of the things that you could have is called achalasia, achalasia, and there's different type of achalasias that I'm going to show you. But the uh, the, cl the classic sign of achalasia is called bird beak, bird beak. Uh, this is when you have a person uh, swallow the barium swallow. Uh, the you have this narrowing uh, of the esophagus going into the stomach. This is the stomach here, the study of the stomach. You could see a narrowing pathway. You could see it as if become like a bird upside down. So you have this bird upside down with a long peak here. So it's bird. Peak. 
bird beak appearance. So when you see this bird beak appearance, think of echolation. So anytime you see bird beak appearance, think of echolation. There's different types of, um, actually this is another malformation that could happen with your esophagus. You could have atresia or fistula. Atresia is a one end, it's kind of close-ended one. Fistula is actually kind of connect with another one. What do I mean by all of those? You could look at here. This is normal anatomy. You have your trachea, you have um, the primary bronchi. And that's attached to your lung. Atresia is basically you have this dead end. Okay, so we'll, we will see this in a baby early on. When you start feeding the baby, the baby will actually throw up. And then you have the fistula here by combining with the another opening to the other things. So when you have this, uh, when you're breathing stuff in, you're gonna put air more inside the more inside the uh, the belly. So the baby will cry as well. So because you have a lot of air packing in there, and uh, they they're trying to burp it out, they, they won't be able to burp it normally because it has to go up and then reverse to go up into your trachea, and then you're gonna the baby is gonna cry even more. Uh, the, this one is atresia with double fistula, meaning that you have atresia here at the end here, but you have two fistula here that connects to the trachea. This is a medical emergency, definitely actually these two uh, are. So uh, when you eat, it will go into your lungs instead of your stomach. So, okay, you eat, you go into your lungs. Same thing with this one, you have atresia on the bottom, uh, proximal, uh, with proximal fistula. So fistula actually going on the top, going into the lungs, so also medical emergency. This one as well, you have two atresias. Uh, instead, there's no fistula. So basically no attaching to, to the trachea, which is good, but then uh, baby's you want to throw up every time you feed something in, um, and they'll have a failure to thrive. Okay, the least, uh, the least one would be this one. This is you have you don't have the atresia, you have just fistula. So uh, the food will go into the stomach. The air though uh, does go into the stomach as well as well as the lungs. So this one they they would burp it out. They would actually be able to burp stuff out. Uh, so outside. Okay. Uh, next one, which is huge, is you're gonna see this all the time on a daily basis almost. Uh, this is called GERD, um, gastroesophageal reflux disease, uh, heartburn, basically. Uh, the key things with this, usually you have, um, you could cause by all kinds of things. Could be food, alcohol, medication, could actually cause any of these. A lot of time is the LES doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Okay, your LES lowers esophageal sphincter, it doesn't close the way it's supposed to, so that's why the acid starts to come up into your esophagus and burning your esophagus. If this keep on going, it could actually lead to what we call barrier esophagitis and even to um, uh, esophageal cancer, so something to keep in mind. Okay. So treatment, I have them sit up. Um, will help. The other one uh, that really works, you could might want to recommend to your patient, is eating less fatty food. Um, fat actually relaxes the LES, so the LES actually will, the, the stomach juice will actually come up easier. So eating less fatty food, like less junk food, then that would actually help closing the LES a little bit better. Uh, you have two medication that, you know, three medication, antacid, um, uh, H2 blocker, and PPIO. We'll talk about that shortly. Um, but GERD again could lead to esophageal, Barrett esophageal, um, esophagus or Barrett esophagitis, and then that Barrett could lead to cancer. Okay, so Barrett esophagus uh, could actually lead to cancer, esophageal cancer. So H2 blocker and PPI, H2 blocker, if you look at the parietal cell in your stomach, parietal cell actually produce hydrochloric acid. Actually, it's producing the hydrogen proton to combine with chloride to make hydrochloric acid. Um, there's two mechanisms that we work for from this. H2 is right here, so this is the H2 receptor. So H2 blocker, it blocks the conversion of ATP to cyclic AMP. So from blocking that conversion, you won't have produced the proton. The proton pump inhibitor works right here at the pump, uh, convert, you know, um, stopping the potassium to come in and stop from the hydrogen proton to go out. There's pros and cons for each, but for H2 proctor, you actually have a one to two, 12 hours. Um, usually usually it uh, lasts, usually shorter, whereas PPI tends to last a little bit longer. Um, and you have, um, let's see, you have the histamine um, production reduced. Uh, usually works a little bit quicker as well. Uh, this one works a little bit, takes a little time to work. 
uh, Antacid, one of the things that Antacid does is actually, doesn't mention here, but just want to mention to you, Antacid is actually kind of block, just think of it like a cork. Uh, you have a, a, a soda bottle that kind of fizzing out. You just put a, you simply just put a lid on top. That's what Antacid is. When you drink the Antacid, it, re, it will react with your as, uh, hydrochloric acid and kind of foam up to the top of the uh, stomach, to the fundus and cardia region. And what it does is actually creating a foam cap, so preventing any acid to come back up. Okay, so that's all Antacid does. It's actually creating a little cap to prevent things to come up. Okay, uh, this one you definitely need to know. You're going to see this in your next quiz and also in your final exam. This the uh, Mallory Y syndrome. Mallory Y syndrome. This is the uh, you have the laceration in the esophageal and gastric mucosa, causing you to have vomiting, hiccup, and hemorrhage as well. Okay, esophageal cancer. Again, this is um, caused by um, Barrett esophagus. Um, and you, you know, one of the things, if you have Barrett esophagus, the first thing you want to look for and look at is ask the patient whether they drink. Uh, if Usually that's the number one cause for Barrett esophagus is drinking. So then they may have to stop drinking to actually prevent uh, this from happening. There are different types of esophageal cancer. There's squamous cell carcinoma versus adenocarcinoma. Squamous cells is you know usually with um, Asian and African descent, whereas uh, ad adenocarcinoma usually is uh, pretty much everyone equally. Um, you have this, uh, older males tend to actually have this. Um, you have echolasia as well, that's the narrowing of the esophagus. Um, and you have difficulty swallowing because you could see there's a big huge uh, mass there too, we're going to block it from going down to your, to your stomachs. Okay? You may have cough as well, so that's one of the huge things to see if you keep constantly having cough, something to, to think about. When you see a star, definitely pay attention to this page. Uh, pyloric obstruction. Uh, this is when from the your stomach, your uh, stomach to your duodenum. So you have this uh, narrowing of the opening, so things will kind of stay in your stomach longer. doesn't get out to your to your small intestine. Um, poop, let's talk about poop, um, shall we? So poop is, you have constipation, um, basically. Con what is constipation? If you think about it for now, what, what is constipation? Co um, first, before to define constipation, what is the normal bowel movement? Okay, so nothing about that for a second. Normal bowel movement usually is between two, two to one to three times a day. Okay, one to three times a day. So any, anything between one to three times is fine. It's completely normal. Uh, you're supposed to go every time you eat. So the moment you put stuff in your mouth, then you're supposed to go. So that's the normal kind of thing. So when you actually go less than, you only go maybe once every two or three days, that could be constipation. That could be a bad, bad problem. Okay, so. Usually it's mean you're dehydrated, you don't have enough uh, liquid in your uh, your body, you don't eat enough fiber as well, that's usually a huge cause of constipation. Okay, So make sure you recommend your patient to drink a lot more, eat more fibers. Uh, psyllium husk uh, is a great a great thing to, to use when you have constipation. Psyllium husk, uh, you could buy this in Whole Foods, Sprout, they have it. Tastes really nasty, bentonite clay, psyllium husk, uh, but it will make you go like, like crazy. It will it will go. Um, another interesting one that you definitely highly, like really mild treatment, you, you don't, um, if people complaining of going and they, you really want them to go before grabbing a Metamucil, uh, I would, if I were you, I would recommend to avoid Metamucil in terms of long-term use. Short-term use is fine, but not for long-term use, no, no more than six months. Um, but one of the things that you could use is vitamin C. Actually, vitamin C is great uh, in terms of constipation. Uh, you take you know four or five thousand milligram of vitamin C. Um, get one of those one 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 thousand milligram per pill, and just take five of them. Definitely, things will come out. You're gonna open the floodgate. Things will just all come out. Okay. I don't recommend that do on a normal basis, regular basis. That's not the treatment. That's that's a quick treatment. That's not a long-term treatment. You want really to increase the fiber. Psyllium husk will do that. Increase the fiber as well. Uh, the other short treatment that you could do is aloe pills. Yes, aloe vera, the one that you put on your skin, but uh, they, they have a pill that you can actually take. Aloe vera is actually quite interesting because if you if you uh, have diarrhea, it will actually stop you from having a diarrhea. If you have constipation, when you take it, uh, it will make you go. So interestingly, it actually normalizes you to that homeostasis. Um, we can only explain 
how it happened, but um, but it does. It has to do with the coding of your uh, of your epithelial cells. Uh, for some reason, it kind of normalized the epithelial cells and make sure epithelial cells work as you know normally, and then making things stay in or come out normally. Yep, constipation. You can see the face, um, the face of constipation. Not really. Um, okay, so. We don't, I don't know, ever since I practiced, I've never seen people use colonoscopy to have constipation when you have constipation, or nor barium enema when you have constipation, so uh, that's kind of extreme ways of uh, looking at it. Also, the opposite end of that is diarrhea, which is, uh, you can see here, chocolate rain. Okay, chocolate rain here. So basically, you just uh, decrease water absorption. Um, you just keep going, letting things out. Normally, diarrhea is a good thing uh, because it's a, it's a way your body responds to the, the waste or the bad things that are going inside. So I would just you know let it go, let it go. So don't don't keep it inside anymore. Just let it out. Uh, it's okay. Uh, but you don't want it to, to have longer than a day. So if you have diarrhea that more longer than a day, you need to treat it. Okay. Uh, as you can see here, it's the second leading cause of death for children um, under five years old around the world. So, um, so we are fortunate enough to live in a country that have um, clean sanitation and water and food. But around the world, majority of people in the world uh, do not have that. So, diarrhea become very common things that they have, causing them to you know could die from it if you actually have diarrhea longer than three days. Okay. Uh, causes could be all kinds of things from viral, bacterial, parasite, all kinds of things that actually cause uh, to have your diarrhea. Uh, okay. One other thing I do want to mention is called a fecal transplant. Okay. Uh, the official name is actually fecal micro, uh, microbiota fecal transplant. Um, so basically, you're transferring the microbes from the good people who have good GI linings to the person who doesn't. Usually, it's a treatment for C. diff. Um, this is the main treatment for C. diff now today. Um, in a hospital, in a hospital where you know we take collect the uh, the poop from the people who have a good poop and then injected that into the person who has C. diff. Um, and it works like a charm. It actually works amazingly well, much better than the medication we give them. So. Um, it actually started from what I heard. It started as um, they've been using this in with horses for the longest time, and you know, we wrong behold, one GI doctor sat down with his friend veter veterinarian and asked him about the sedative, and then he said, "Why don't you try this? Um, finding a good poop and then inject that into you know these people, and then that's started treatment, and now it's become a almost a standard treatment that we could do for a sedative patient." Um, there's a p other people actually trying to use it as well. The uh, also have colitis people. It's not though. It's not recommend because you have also so and sore inside your body and you injecting poops in there. Um, but for some reason, there's a lot of people uh, saying that it actually worked like amazingly well. Uh, and they even do it at home. They actually, which I don't recommend, uh, but they ask for their neighbors to have a good poop um, and they start doing enema. They inject it into the body themselves, um, and they seems to say that it actually works like a charm. So, um, and also for those of you actually interested in. Um, Fecal transplant. You could actually watch this video. Okay, a little further. Okay, and there's different type of diarrhea. So we'll guess we'll stop right here. Okay, folks. Let's continue to part two. Um, this is uh, you have abdominal pain, and depending on the type of pain you have, um, you could have the parietal pain, which is on the peritoneum visceral, which is the organ itself, and then you have the refer pain that could be felt in a, in a different areas as well. Uh, you could have an upper GI bleed, usually is coffee ground or uh, darker color because it has to go through the whole entire system. Uh, emesis, whereas you have a low G lower GI bleed, usually you will be nice and white and bright color, not white, a bright uh, red color. Again, something you should know for this one, uh, peptic ulcer, the cause is H. pylori or NSAID. Those are, those are two, two main ones. Though, I'll say that um, the, uh, the the research actually show that um, there are people who actually have H. pylori and do not have peptic ulcer. They also have people who um, 
have peptic ulcer and they do not have H. pylori. So this H. pylori doesn't guarantee that you will have a peptic ulcer. So that's just a one of the causes. Uh, so for your exam, please know that. But when you actually in a clinical, when you're in a real office, make sure to keep that in mind that you know there's more than one cause of peptic ulcer. Not not everyone will have H. pylori with peptic ulcer. Okay. So um, usually something to, to notice whether you have a, um, a, a duodenal ulcer or peptic ulcer is, uh, is the time. So if you actually have um, peptic ulcer, you actually will feel pain right away, right before you even eat. When you think of food, when you start producing that acid uh, in your stomach, you will actually feel pain. Okay. If you have duodenal ulcer, usually you actually won't feel pain until a couple hours later, until, you, um, until the food actually digests through your stomach and then go into your duodenal area. So keep that in mind. So the differences between the peptic ulcer and duodenal ulcer is, is the time that you feel pain okay, in your stomach. And the testing, a lot of these testing for GI, you're definitely going to use endoscopy. Um, upper GI uh, or even lower GI, so depending on where it is, definitely that's what you're going to use. Uh, if you suspect H. pylori, you could test for the, uh, the breath or the blood for H. pylori as well. Okay. Um, same thing with stress ulcer, usually. Gastritis, also as well, inflammation of your stomach, usually can cause by uh, H. pylori, but there's other causes as well, usually asymptomatics. This one you definitely need to know. This is called ileus. Ileus. This is, uh, as you can see, a little star here. So this is non-working GI. So this is your small intestine decided to quit working. Uh, usually it's after after surgery or post-op, um, but it's a uh, it's self-limiting, which usually lasts a day or two, and then te technically tends to uh, recover by itself. Okay. Uh, you could use NG tube. Uh, intest interestingly, using NG tube to re relieve the pressure to help uh, to, to to get the ileus um, go away to get your intestine working again. Okay, so usually it's temporary when we talk about surgery, but um, can be serious as well. There are some kids actually born without uh, with, with this problem, or their GI actually start shut down as a child. So this is a huge problem. If they stop, if their intestine actually stop working, they could actually die. You could lead to malabsorption and then uh, impactation, and then you could die from it. Okay, so huge problem. So testing, uh, what do we do to test? Uh, we you could usually based on the clinical. You could use the X-ray to see as well, um, fluoroscopy to see as well, but usually it's your clinical. Uh, you should know also meconium ileus. We talked about this already in CF uh, patient, uh, babies who uh, usually should have meconium, but with CF, uh, then your, the poop becomes sticky, so it doesn't come out. So you may see meconium ileus, uh, the obstruction, uh, but usually within the first one or two days. Okay, so usually it's post-op. Okay. You also have the intestinal obstruction. Intestinal obstruction, this is where you have different types of obstruction. Um, most common is the fibrous adhesion, and then you have colorectal cancer. That's the uh, lower bowel obstruction, especially with vulvaris. Vulvaris, I'm sorry, vulvaris. Uh, that's the twisting, malrotation. We'll talk about that shortly. Okay. Um, you also have um, the malabsorption sy syndrome. Could be because of the food. Uh, very kind of rare here, but. Um, you may see like pancreatic, pancreatic insufficiency, where you don't produce enough uh, enzyme to break down those food. Um, lact lactase de deficiency, you don't have enough lactase um, in your body. Okay, kind of go along with the the we'll talk. I think lactose intolerance is a, that's a different thing. Okay, uh, you cannot produce lactate. Uh, um, so you can really break down the lactose. So bowel salt deficiency, uh, you need you, you don't absorb enough of these vitamin A, D, E, K. Uh, these vitamin actually will, uh, if you don't absorb enough of it, you could cause problem. Obesity, um, also a huge problem here in the U.S. Um, you could have the visceral versus peripheral obesity. You guys could look through this. It's pretty straightforward, not too, 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 too bad. And you guys have heard it before. Um, anorexia nervosa, this is uh, the, one of the psychi uh, psychiatric disorder that could actually could kill people. Um, 
aside from suicide. But this one definitely could kill people. Um, basically, this is a perception problem. This is not a behavioral problem. It's a perception problem. So they think that they actually fat, even though if you look in the mirror, they're actually 90 pounds, but they still think that they are fat like 160, 170 pounds. So they're constantly eating less and they stop eating. What's sad thing about this is um, there's more and more, I would say, uh, if you type in the word pro-Anna, pro-Anna, there's actually a, a group of kids, young girls, actually giving tips and hints uh, to each other of how to become anorexic. Uh, you know, do it right, and, in a sense. So they, they're really striving to to have that thin, small, thin look kind of frame. So they will, they kind of teach each other about, you know, what to do, what not to do uh, to become anorexic. So they call pro-Anna. So check those out. Uh, the other one is bul bulimia nervosa. These are binge and purge. So when we talk about binging and purging, they, when they said binging, they eat a huge amount of, of uh, food and then they purge. They could purge a different way. They could purge by throwing it up, uh, make themselves throw up, or they could use laxative. Um, not really effective because 90% of food is already absorbed. Um, but they're just feeling guilty. They're just feeling guilty of eat, eating that much food. Um, with these folks, uh, you just have to keep in mind that uh, they, they actually these folks develop a relationship with the food. So their food is their friend. Food becomes their friend. So if you want to, if you're telling them to stop eating, it's literally you're telling them to break up with their with their friend. So uh, they use food as a coping mechanism. They don't want to deal with the real problem in their in in their lives. So they're actually using food to do to do so. So you know, if you're going to work with GI and you're doing a lot of you know um, the, the stomach bypass, gastric bypass stuff. Think about this, uh, because you telling people to, to quit eating, to stop eating, to lose weight, um, you're technically telling them to breaking up relationship with their friend, their long-term friend. This friend, stay with them thick and thin. Um, you know, good times and bad times. Good times, they, they're there together. They go out and celebrate. They eat food. Uh, bad times, when they feel sad, breaking up with someone, they come and eat food. Those are the friends' relationship that they, that they have with these people. These, these patients, you know, they develop that kind of relationship. By just telling them to stop eating or eat less, it doesn't make, it doesn't work psych uh, psychologically. Because to them, it's like you're telling them to break up you know, one thing that saved their life, one thing that helped them cope. Um, so a lot of time you're going to see a resistant. They actually not going to really follow through as as much and as well. So you really have to you know give a different approach. You know, it's very important and very critical to actually you know helping them with with the counselor as well. You know, assigning them with counselor to help them going through these. Okay, binge eating disorder. They just eat like crazy. They actually eat a huge amount of food. Um, they could clean out the whole table. Literally, they could be a um, you know going a, prof a professional eater. They actually you know go and run a contest. You know, eating lots and lots of food in a small amount of time. They literally can clean out the whole table. Um, starvation. This is the opposite. Um, we don't see that as much, but you know. Uh, as a physician, as a doctor, I would recommend, and I tell this to patients all the time, that I do recommend patient people to actually um, at least uh, fast once a year if you can. Okay, If you can, I would highly recommend fast, fasting once a year. Fasting is a normal thing. It's actually been practiced around the world, uh, even in the Bible as well. Um, JC did it for 40, 40 days. Jesus Christ did it for 40 days. So uh, if he could do it, you can do it too. Not, I'm not saying that you need to do 40 days. No, uh, no, not at all. So, But you definitely could do a three-day fast or five-day fast uh, at least once a year. That will actually help clean out your system will kind of push that reset button in your cut and it will clear your mind actually will make you become even more focused as well um, even in some cases uh, with autoimmune diseases um, this could actually become very very uh, powerful things to do um, we had patient who who had um, ms or people who have um, lupus um, and you know putting them you know, with three days and five day detox uh, fasting actually really helped them minimize the symptoms that they have throughout the whole body um, we sometimes put more toxin into your body, to our body, than than get it, get rid of it. So uh, by actually having people eating less, um, actually is beneficial. It show all over the place. Eating less correlate to longevity. You actually live longer. You tend to live longer when you eat less amount of food. Uh, eating large quantity of food actually tends to 
make you die quicker. So uh, fa fasting is actually good for you. And, and pretty much it's water fast. The only recommendation that I have is that if you have diabetes, heart condition, uh, anything that, you know, kidneys problem, you should not be fasting at all, okay? So for normal folks, you don't have any of those uh, issues, diabetes, heart problem, kidney issues, fasting is something that you could do. First two days, you'll feel horrible. After the two days, three days, you'll feel like a brand new person. So guarantee on the flip side of that if you were to fast please make sure that uh, you have a slow introduction of those food back to your body not you know after you've done five day fasting don't go out and buy mcdonald's don't go out and buy burger king or in and out you will throw up you will feel so sick to your stomach you will throw up so start with the simple food and start building back up again to normal food you know simple food like you know bananas uh, fruit vegetable leafy kind of green in the first day or so and then you kind of starting to put in harder food like rice or potatoes things that are harder to to break um that more fibrous to stuff later on so kind of adding those things one day at a time okay just fyi uh, good information to know uh, the other two that you definitely need to know is uh quashior core and marasmus uh, these are protein deficiency we don't see this in, in the u.s but definitely um we see it in a third world country um people are starving and dying from uh, lack of protein uh, and this is uh, the variation of it uh, so quashior core is a severe one and marasmus is the, um, the the beginning symptoms that you will see Okay, and uh, with, with, without enough food could lead to uh, failure to thrive, and this is what happened with uh, with um, anorexic nervosa. You could actually lead to failure to thrive. You will see uh, amenorrhea, uh, lanula, which is the soft hair on the arm, um, and that could be an indication of uh, malnutrition. And you guys could look at stomach cancer. Um, I guess we'll stop right here before the next video. Okay, welcome to part three. So we'll start with this one. This is called the diverticulosis and diverticulitis. Losis is condition, litis is inflammation. So litis, uh, losis usually asymptomatic. You don't actually even know that you have it. Uh, litis is actually is inflammation. So you will definitely feel that you know you have it. So, so this is the outpouching. So you actually just keep remember that word outpouching. So this you have outpouching in your large intestine. Most commonly, you actually will have um, in around the large intestine. Okay, uh, all over the large intestine. So that's the outpouching. So you have, uh, and if there's something stuck in there, it could be inflamed or it could be infected as well. Uh, very common in older folks, um, you will have this. Most people will have this, end up having this. This is the reason why we do uh, testing in GI every four, um, endoscopy, I'm sorry, the, uh, the scope every uh, four or five years just to see whether how much they have these or any cancer that they might develop, okay? The problem that you need to know for this one is these. You could actually develop um, peritonitis, okay, information on the outside. So let's say if this actually leaked out into your peritoneum, uh, then it could be a problem, could be infection, could have peritonitis. Uh, you could have uh, scarring, which is kind of caused the blockage. So you could actually have blockage inside your large intestine as well, as well as fistula, which means you actually attach this to the other organ, like kidney or other small intestine. Uh, you actually creating a hole to those to those organs, to those small intestine, to kidneys. So you could have those. Okay, uh, we recommend high fiber diet usually uh, to soften the stool. Uh, if it infected, we could use antibiotics, and then we could do surgery to remove it as well. This is the barium enema. You could see you could you could use barium enema to see the diverticulosis uh, pretty easily see in barium enemas. Um, diverticulitis. I have to be careful in terms of using the barium with diverticulitis because then it could cause discomfort because it's a um, metal uh, you're actually injecting metal into the into the into the GI so 
uh, Macaul's diverticulum, uh, Macaul diverticulum. This is in our pouch, not in your colon, but rather in your ileum, which is the the last part of your small intestine. The last part of your small intestine. You have the the our pouch there. Okay, occur only two percent of the population. Okay, this is all the tools. You have all the tools here. So two percent uh, develop before two years of age. Um, you have two types: ectopic, uh, gastric versus pancreatic, and usually it's two feet. Uh, uh, from the ileocecal valve. Okay, so all the tools are here. So you have two percent population, two years of age, two common type, and two feet from ileocecal valve. So keep remember that. Okay, usually it's asymptomatics. Uh, asymptomatics. Usually you don't feel anything from it. Okay, um, you could see it's a pouch right here, a little, a little out pouch, and it can become infected in the small intestine. Uh, there's a Macaul scan specifically uh, to scan for this. So if you suspect you know, kids, uh, toddlers uh, having starting to have abdominal pain syndrome, uh, you might want to send for the Macaul scan to see possible Macaul diverticulum. This is what it looked like, the Macaul scan. This is where we removed them. Next one is ulcerative colitis. You see ulcerative colitis. Uh, this is an inflammation on your colon, inflammation on your colon, especially uh, your rectum and your sigmoid colon. So toward the end, so you're descending your sigmoid and your uh, rectum. So toward the end of it, okay. We see this especially in the Ju Jewish family descent. The genetics uh, could be passed on from one uh, family to another family as well. The key term you might want to remember that this one has something called crib of Liverkun. Uh, crib of Liverkun. So that's the key term that you should remember for ulcerative colitis. Uh, you have tenesmus, which is you feel like you want to poop all the time, Melina. This is the black poop, black, black stool. Um, you have the, uh, the risk of colon cancer if it's, um, you have more than 10 years, so not good. And you also have polyps, pseudopolyps, which just look like a carpet, carpeting shack, or kind of 80s carpet. I'll show you just a few seconds. Uh, the testing definitely again any GI stuff definitely needs to do colonoscopy. One interesting thing that I want you to note that uh, the studies show that using smokes, smoking, and nicotine actually help reduce the inflammation of ulcerative colitis for some reason. A lot of people who actually smoke uh, tends not to get ulcerative colitis. Um, I don't recommend you telling your patient to pick up a cigarette and smoke, but you definitely could prescribe them a nicotine patch to help with you know stop with the inflammation and the from this disease. So this is, you see how angry it looking that is, it's nice and bright red, it is kind of yelling and screaming at you. Uh, this is what pseudoprolip looks like. Uh, this is after it actually become bright red like that, this is afterward, this is what happened kind of after re the recovery. People who have chronic ulcerative colitis uh, go through those period of inflammation and then afterward, uh, this is when it heals, it looks like this. It looks kind of like a shaggy carpet, um, shag carpeting. So. Uh, pseudopolyps, something to remember. Okay, Crohn's, Crohn's, uh, Crohn's is the inflammation of your, technically is anywhere from your mouth all the way down to your butt. So you could have Crohn's from anywhere from your mouth all the way down to your butt. So anywhere at all. So, and the classic sign is called skip lesion. Skip lesion, so this mean that's the key term you should know, skip lesion. So it would happen in one area and then skip and then it actually happened in the next area. Okay. Most common site is for Crohn's in your ascending and transverse colon, whereas also the colitis is in your descending colon, sigmoid colon, and rectum. So this one usually happens in the uh, ascending and the transverse colon, but doesn't mean it only limited to those places. Again, I, like I said, you could have it from your mouth all the way down, from your throat all the way down to your butt. So it could be all the way through. 
usually people who have this, they don't want to eat because they feel uh, painful all the time. Okay, They have painful body stools that they usually don't want to eat. Um, they usually have mouth uh, absorption of B12 as well. Um, you could look at, because some people say it could cause by uh, your immune system because of the IgG level as well. It actually alter your IgG level. Uh, medication, we, since it's inflammation, we just treat the inflammation, so antihistamine. And if it's a big, huge problem, then we could remove that portion as well. The classic sign that I want you to remember is this picture is called cobblestones, uh, cobblestone. So it's skip lesion, cobblestone uh, is referring to Crohn's. Okay. You could see it looks like almost like you have these little stones that step everywhere, but those are the inflamed areas. And so 65 year old man present, um, Present not presents, um, present in uh, to the clinic with abdominal pain. He also had been experiencing cramp and nausea vomiting. When Hugo Boss was asked about his diet, it was noted that Hugo has been eating steaks, high protein food, and very little fiber for as long as he could remember. The doctors uh, asked if there had been a blood in the Hugo fecal matter, and he answered in affirmative. A colonoscopy is ordered, and there are outpouchings in the GI tract. What's the diagnosis? So pick one, write down in the comment below. Okay, I'll stop right here, and you could continue to the video next one. So without further ado, sorry about my voice. Uh, I actually been having probably a flu, um, no fever, but just cough a lot of cough and uh, running nose. So my voice is a little bit uh, nasal, nasally. So just do forgive me on that. Okay, so we will pick up pick up from where we left off last time. Uh, this first one that we left off, I believe we left off somewhere around here. This is uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, IBS is quite interesting because uh, IBS, technically speaking, is more has to do with the psychological, which means that it has to do with your uh, stress. When you become stressed, you tend to get this. Uh, there's We don't really see any physiological cause at all. Uh, we don't really see this actually caused by specific uh, portion of your GI system, or uh, we could not find it any specific uh, pinpoint to a specific cause. But what we do see for a majority of the patient tends to have is the, the psychological means, which means that uh, not that they are going crazy, but rather they actually have lots of stress in their lives. So with the stress uh, comes IBS. The key term to remember for IBS is altercation, uh, uh, <coughs> alteration or going back and forth between the uh, constipation and diarrhea. So sometimes some days they'll have diarrhea, some days they'll have constipations. So they're going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, just altering back and forth, back and forth. So uh, so one of the, the main things to help to treat this uh, is actually to help with the stress reduction and you could actually help your patient uh, reducing their stress. Uh, and hopefully this disease will actually tend to get better. Next one is the celiac disease. Celiac disease, uh, what this is, is basically is a, <clears throat> I believe you guys covered that uh, in your presentation last week. Um, quite uh, it's extensive in terms of covering, uh, I think you guys cover very well on there. So this is, a, uh, you have allergic reaction to the gluten protein, allergic reaction to gluten protein. So usually it's caused by autoimmune disease, family history that actually lead to this. Um, you have basically malabsorption of uh, inability to absorb any type of gluten into the uh, into the body. So therefore, you if you cannot absorb it, <clears throat> you will get, try to get, get rid of it through like diarrhea, cramp. Testing we actually use the 
transglutamidase, antibody, IgA, IgE for those. Uh, Something to note, uh, this is the key, one of the huge key to know because you're gonna see this on your exam. Um, more women than men actually have this, but also the malabsorption of fat, um, which if you cannot absorb fat, that could lead to vitamin K deficiency because vitamin K is uh, is a fat soluble vitamin. Okay, So if you cannot absorb fat, that means you cannot absorb vitamin K. Therefore, uh, if you cannot absorb vitamin K, you might have some uh, clotting problem, okay? so. The key terms to also to remember is the fatty stool uh, because you, you're going to have abdominal pain, bloating with other type of GI system, uh, but fatty stool is uh, one of the classic ones, also diarrhea. Okay. Again, the diagnosis testing is through the uh, TGA, TTGA, uh, anti-tissue transglutaminase, IgA and IgG as well. Okay, and you guys covered these uh, last time as well. There's two of them, two separate ones. One is called intersubception, and the other one is called vulvaris. Okay, vulvaris and intersubception. So those are two separate things. So keep that in mind. These, these are two different conditions. Uh, the intersubception, that's a telescoping of the small intestine. Okay, um, that's a telescoping of small intestine. The key term for that you need to remember is the red current jelly stool. So red current jelly stool. Okay. You're still going to have uh, bowel movement, you're still going to have um, things come out, but stuff that actually come out, you're going to see it looks almost like a red current jelly stool. Okay? The reason being is uh, when it's a telescope, things do come out, but what you're going to see is you're going to have less stuff coming out and you're going to start creating sores, uh, which is on the next page. So this is not an actual stool, this is just a, a jelly. Okay? But you could see is when it starts telescoping, you have you actually have a narrow, narrower uh, GI tract for things to move through. But also, you actually got to create sores here as well. Once you actually have these necrosis happen here, it could actually cut the blood supply to that particular spot, which also start uh, causing more necrosis in the meantime and causing uh, malabsorption in those areas as well. Okay. Without treatment, this could actually get, uh, this could lead to death. Okay. Uh, but even it's very easily spot, and we could actually go in and uh, Laparoscopically fix these. One of the interesting things is uh, when we do when you have uh, intersubception. Interestingly, we uh, is successful by using enema. Okay, we could use enema to actually help uh, kind of undo the telescopic part. Uh, works about 60-70 percent of the time. Also, depending on the location as well, depending on location where it is, uh, how deep it is actually into the small intestine or is it actually closer to the large intestine. The one that's actually more dangerous is the valvarus. Valvarus is uh, it's a twisting or malrotation of your small intestine or large intestine. So, so valvarus is basically you completely cut off uh, the blood supply, completely cut off the, uh, you cannot pass it still, there's nothing actually coming out. So most of the time, things will start backing up and coming out of your mouth instead. So that's why you're going to see something called uh, bilious uh, vomiting, bilious vomiting, which means that you're actually vomiting out the biles. The bowels that you're going to see in your small intestine that's released by your liver and gallbladder, uh, you're going to throwing all of that up because since this cannot go through, then things just going to start backing up in, in through your mouth. Okay, so this is called for for uh, immediate surgery. You need to fix those, otherwise you will die. Very acute. You can see this is the valvarus, and things uh, start to back up. You can see how big the colon could get.
uh, Mucolium ileus, we talked about a little bit of that before. Uh, Mucolium ileus, you should know that. Uh, it's actually on your exam. Uh, Mucolium ileus, that's when you uh, do not pass the the first poop uh, within the 12 to 72 hour after birth, usually a sign of uh, cystic fibrosis because you have your uh, stool become very sticky, so it doesn't come out due to uh, mucus that being released inside the GI tracts. Okay, so Macomia bilius, something to remember. You, are, you will see this on your exam. Okay, so the big one is called the Hirschsprung. Sorry for the screen. Uh, Smoke that up a little bit. Okay, so the Hirschsprung disease, Hirschsprung disease or congenital megacolon, congenital megacolon or Hirschsprung disease. Okay, you need to know both names of these. This is a uh, this is this happened at birth. Uh, this is where you're missing the parasympathetic ganglion toward the end of your large intestine and your rectum, your sigmoid colon and rectum. Okay, so you don't have the parasympathetic ganglion, meaning that your colon toward the end doesn't work your colon uh, your colon doesn't actually do uh, be able to move the move the feces along to push the feces out okay uh, so when it cannot push out the feces if it doesn't work uh, what you're going to see is you're going to see something called ribbon like stool ribbon ribbon like stool so this means that the colon is completely flat and you try to think of it you have a flat toothpaste and you try to squeeze that toothpaste out uh, from the bottom or from the back of your toothpaste so let's say you were to cut the bottom part of your toothpaste out and you were to squeeze out your toothpaste things will come out very flat so ribbon like okay so when we talk about ribbon-like stool, think of Hirschsprung disease. You will see this on your final exam. <laughs> you definitely see this on your final exam. So put a star on this one. Uh, so one of the things that we, we could do, uh, we could do the, the biopsy to actually test it. We could do the x-ray. We could do also the testing the sphincter muscle to see whether you have that nerve conduction test to see whether there's a nervous system there. Okay. One of the classic surgery, and I would recommend you to watch it, is called pull-through surgery. Pull-through surgery. There's a couple of ways that we're doing pull-through. Uh, one of the neat, neatest ways, one of the older ways, uh, very safe, uh, more safe and more effective, is through the butt, uh, through the anus. That's a uh, very neat surgery. Actually, is to start pulling up, uh, pulling out the intestine or colon from the inside out. Uh, you start pulling colon out and then start cutting and removing that uh, ineffective parts of the colon. Hirschsprung disease. There's also necrotizing enterocolitis. That means that your colon start to uh, start to have necrosis and perforation. So, if this happened in infants, uh, it could lead to death as well. Okay. Um, usually, you have inflammation, ischemia throughout the, your large intestine. It could be infection. Could be uh, immature immunity. So, if you get a little bit older, you could actually have this. Uh, with your babies. So one of the more important ones to really remember is appendicitis. Uh, you're gonna see this quite more often in your in your case in your office. Okay. So appendicitis is inflammation of your appendix. Okay. So first of all for the adult you're probably gonna see the pain on the uh, right lower quadrant right lower quadrant but not always the case not always the case you could have pain on the left as well some people may have refer pain uh, for kids it could be all over the all, all over the place uh, some kid reported right in the middle epigastric pain some kids report, report pain at the belly button so it could be anywhere uh, one of the things that you want to do is you want to do the uh, McBurdy's uh, positive McBurdy sign and also heel tap or heel strike. You could have patients strike their heels and you actually tap on their right, uh, heel on the right right foot or left foot. They will report pain when, when you do that. Okay, so 
all of these things you could do. Like birdies is you actually press down on your on your abdominal. If you press on the left side, uh, you will have the pain on the right side. Okay, so that's positive but birdie side. <clears throat> For kids, uh, especially young kids and teenagers, something to remember: if they report uh, abdominal pain, they report abdominal pain along with the along with the projecting uh, projectile vomiting. Projectile vomiting. The first thing, the very first thing you want to rule out is appendicitis. So projectile vomiting, uh, fever, and also abdominal pain. So if they have those three things, the first thing you guys want to rule out is appendicitis. Something to keep in mind, uh, ultrasound is only 50% effective to see appendicitis. So technically speaking, the best way to see is CT scan. Uh, X-ray, you may see fecal lith. If it's big enough, you could see uh, a little stone in there. If you actually see the stone, fecal stone inside the appendix, uh, you may see through the X-ray. But if they don't have the stone, um, you may not see through the X-ray. You could see through the CT scan. The biggest thing that you want to rule uh, that you want to kind of stop before it actually happen is the uh, the, per the perforation uh, so rupture you don't want uh, your appendix to rupture so most of the time we just kind of keep uh, keep an eye on the appendix to make sure that uh, it, it, you may treat it with antibiotics a lot of time but if it's uh, showing any sign of rupture if it's showing any sign of swelling about to rupture or it actually shows some, some sign of the rupture that's when you go in and remove the appendix okay that's when you go and remove the appendix itself so uh, when it's rupture, it's a whole bad news. It's really not a fun thing to see. That's a fecal list right here. You can see the fecal list. Uh, this video actually show you the, the the rupture appendix and how we removed it with the rupture appendix, which is very neat now today. Actually, very uh, most of the surgery is done with laparoscopic now and uh, very quick. Uh, could be 15, 30 minutes uh, uh, surgery that actually be able to get this done very quickly. Uh, and some, uh, I, know, I know a lot of hospitals now start utilizing ops unit for this as well. You, you don't need to be hospitalized. You, you just need to be in an ops unit for a day or two to, to get your appendix removed. So. Okay, so cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, this is when you have the fibrosis of the liver. Uh, usually the cause of cirrhosis is alcohol, hepatitis B and C. Uh, those are the three main causes of cirrhosis. But also you could have other things as well like NASH, uh, non-alcoholic hepatitis. Your ALT, your ST would goes up, your liver function test. Uh, you could see this through your MRI, CT scan, or liver biopsy as well. Liver is quite interesting because liver is the only organ could actually grow back uh, as long as you have about 30% left uh, of the liver, you could actually the liver start to grow back uh, to original size. But it's going to take it's going to take a long, long time. But uh, but it can can do that a lot of time. Acute liver failure, uh, something to remember. And again, you all know this, uh, I'm sure, caused by the tunnel overdose. Uh, hepatitis. Uh, you have five types. Um, Five main types of hepatitis A, B, C, D, and E. Those are the main types. Uh, anything start with the vowels come from a vowel, so which means it's oral fecal. So A and E are both of them are oral fecals. Uh, B and C uh, from bodily fluids. We have vaccine for A and B. A and B we have vaccine. We don't have vaccine for C. Um, but symptom could be from abdominal pain, uh, diarrhea, really massive diarrhea, jaundice. So. Okay.
So this is something to know. Uh, you should know this. This is, has to do with the Billy Rubin and conjugated versus unconjugated Billy Rubin. Okay, so uh, for babies, this is for, for, for newborn infants, actually newborn, uh, first week of, uh, first 24 hour birth. Uh, if they don't breastfeed correctly, so if they don't eat or they don't poop correctly, it's going to start building up that bilirubin inside of them and it's going to start turning yellow. Uh, so uh, so what happened is you have uh, this, you, normally your liver is supposed to convert unconjugated to conjugated bilirubin and that's, uh, you dump that through your feces to your, uh, into your bile, the bile going to the small intestine, small intestine and then poop those out. Okay, so when you have this jaundice in the newborn, this process does not happen. Okay, so instead of converting uh, the unconjugated to conjugated, you start collecting these unconjugated uh, bilirubin instead. So these unconjugated cannot go anywhere, so it actually get being put into your blood, into the baby's blood. So when they start putting into the baby baby's blood, that's when they start turning yellow. Okay, so uh, and if you have too much of these uh, unconjugated bilirubin, you could actually cause uh, brain damage. You could cause brain damage. You could have chronic bilirubin encephalopathy. So you could definitely cause that brain damage. So one of the treatments that we do now is to uh, use the yellow uh, the UV light. Uh, we put the babies uh, with the UV light, and the UV light will break up the conjugated, uh, unconjugated to conjugated one, and hopefully you could uh, pee it out or poop it out. Okay. Uh, before we used to put babies in a hospital, but I believe uh, because due to the limited number of beds in a in the NICU in a hospital nowadays, uh, some pediatrician uh, sent uh, home with the blanket, the UV blanket for the mom to actually wrap the baby around the UV blanket throughout the day uh, for the first for, for the first week to help the baby break down the the Billy Rubin. Uh, we talked about this one already. We talked about uh, Wilson disease before, very first week of class. So please refer back to that. Uh, that PowerPoint. Okay, so this one is cholecystitis. Uh, cholecystitis, there's uh, inflammation of your gallbladder. So uh, usually think of four Fs, uh, female, uh, fertile age, um, fat, and in the 40s. Okay, female, fertile, fat, and 40s. So four Fs. Um, so when we talk about cholecystitis, those are the risk factor, the, the main risk factor for women. So female, fat, the woman has overweight, uh, overweight, obese, uh, fertile age, that they're in a reproductive age, and they're in 40s, so three, four Fs. So when you have the obstruction of the cystic gut, you could actually could cause cholecystitis, that's skull stone, but you could also cause the inflammation of your uh, gallbladder as well. Uh, the key terms to remember is the pain usually is upper right quadrant, but refer to the right shoulder is actually have a shooting pain to the uh, the right scapula, toward the back. Okay, uh, scapula, not scapula, sorry, scapula. So uh, the pain actually refer back to the scapula, to the back side. You could do the Murphy sign. Murphy sign is you stick your two finger and you dive in, uh, literally dig it in to your to right underneath the liver. So under, under, right underneath the ribs, just dig those in. Uh, pretty much just cover the whole fingers going deep inside. You could also do the higher scan. Uh, ultrasound could show it as well as uh, CT. Cancer of gallbladder, these are a lot rare, uh, usually asymptomatic uh, early stage. So pancreatitis, we cover that as well with your groups. Uh, cause, main cause alcoholism. Okay, CF. And 
pancreatic cancer, usually this is when you have one of the worst cancer is actually very high, uh, fast spreading, uh, widespread metastasis. Um, you're going to see your amylase and lipase goes up, your pancreatic lipase, pancreatic amylase. Uh, you're going to have sore as well. Uh, always remember that we're going to be sore in the mouth because of, uh, usually when you see that sore on the lips, on the, on the lips or the mouth or the tongue, uh, that's usually too late. Uh, that's been there in a later stage of that pancreatic cancer. Okay, that's it for this chapter, uh, and I will po post the other chapter uh, very soon. Thank you.